to stand for the reading of the gospel lesson. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke. When the days grew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. But they did not receive him, because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. And then they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air, <clears throat> air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. The gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. So Friday was just another day. Right? Of course, there was some news, but uh, really, I mean, how much can go wrong in a single day? <sighs> Roe v. Wade. I was at the press conference yesterday at an interfaith vigil down at Injustice Square, an appropriate place to gather for faith leaders to speak out about the new world we live in after Friday's Supreme Court decision. One of the speakers, interestingly, uh, <clears throat> was from the Buddhist collective. And she was an older woman, and she was sitting in one of those walkers that sort of doubles as a, as a seat. And she talked about her fury, about how she'd worked over 50 years ago to give women and pregnant people the freedom that they need to make their own health care decisions. And now in one day, gone. I mean, it's not just reproductive justice, right? I mean, it's, I've been in contact with so many people in the last two days who are afraid that they won't be able to choose their own form of contraception or who are afraid that the people they love because they're the wrong people will soon be taken away from them. But I mean, come on, it's just one day, right? But it can't be that big of a deal, can it? Well... If we didn't know before, we sure know now that the whole world can change in an instant. Just the result of one decision, right? Now, Luke knows how much can ride on a single decision. It's pivotal. That's what it is, pivotal. 
this unremarkable little passage in Luke's gospel in our text for this morning is the fulcrum upon which Luke's narrative turns. Everything is about to change for Jesus and for the folks who follow him. Now, it's maybe a little hard to see if you don't know what you're looking for, but think about this for a minute, about what's going on with Jesus in Luke's story. Uh, Up to this point in Luke's gospel, Jesus meets a variety of people. He heals some of them, infuriates others, calms storms, has done some teaching, cast out demons. I mean, all in all, Jesus' ministry to this point has been eventful by almost any standard. The only thing lacking, at least according to the way Luke tells it, is direction. I mean, Jesus has been wandering about, perambulating the countryside, if not aimlessly, then certainly without any particular regard for destination. At the beginning of our chapter for this morning, chapter 9, Jesus sends out 12 disciples. Now, we don't know where, but like children turned out of the house on a nice summer day, Jesus wants the disciples to get outside a little bit. It's nice out there. You're not spending your summer in here watching TV and playing Nintendo. Go on, get out. Take nothing for your journey, Jesus tells them. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money. Not even an extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there and, and leave from there. Wherever they welcome you, or where, excuse me, wherever they do not welcome you, as you are leaving, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Now, when the disciples returned, Luke says, Jesus fed the 5,000, predicted his death, and was with Moses and Elijah, transfigured on the mountain, And then he proceeded to heal a boy with a demon and foretell his death yet one more time. By which time, of course, we're about where our text for this morning picks up. Now, I say that our gospel this morning is different from all that precedes it in Luke because formerly in Luke's ministry, there was no apparent direction toward which they were headed. But in verse 51, Luke tells us, with no small amount of dramatic presentiment, that Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now, after all these years, we, we, we know what happens when Jesus gets to Jerusalem, right? Like the creepy music in a scary movie, Luke sets the stage for all that's to come after this point by mentioning Jesus' journey to Jerusalem, where he will be taken up. So everything from this point forward in Luke derives its meaning from what is ultimately going to happen to Jesus on the cross. Jesus is headed toward his death. So all the parables that he tells, all the healings he does, all the questions he answers have his impending crucifixion as their backdrop. Now Luke intends for his readers to see the remaining accounts of Jesus' ministry through the prism of the cross. And our text for today 
begins with the momentous change of uh, direction toward Jerusalem. Once again, Jesus sends out his disciples. This time, we do know where, to a Samaritan village. And they're supposed to be making preparation for his arrival. Now, remember, Jesus has already instructed his followers how to respond when entering a city on his behalf. Whatever house you enter, stay there and leave from there. Wherever they do not welcome you, as you are leaving that town, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. But what happens when the disciples get to the Samaritan village? The village doesn't receive Jesus. And so how do the disciples respond? Well, they ask Jesus if... He wants them to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, like, like Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And how are they supposed to respond? They're supposed to just shake the dust off their feet, but they figure, apparently, that a symbolic move is not enough. It's not quite what the situation calls for. They need to make a stronger statement some, some, something with a hint of retributive justice, right? These nasty Samaritans can't treat our rabbi this way. We'll show them. So here's the important question. Is Jesus gratified by the expression of their loyalty? No. He rebukes them. Now, I don't know about you, but if my righteous indignation is aroused on behalf of somebody that I care about. The last person I want rebuking me is the one over whom I've got my ire stirred. If I'm sticking up for you, don't call me out because of it. But doesn't our response to being rebuked by Jesus point up the very problem that Luke raises by having Jesus on his way to Jerusalem? See, the irony is that Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem to give one final smackdown to an eye for an eye justice. While the whole time his disciples are trying to keep that same kind of justice alive on his behalf. They want what we all want. Just, Just a little control over what it means to follow Jesus to Jerusalem. And if they have to get even with somebody to get it, well then, So be it. Now, why do I say that the disciples only want what we all want, which is to say, to have some control over what it means to follow Jesus? Well, look what happens immediately after Jesus rebukes the disciples for trying to retain some control of their lives and their dignity on this road that they're on toward Jerusalem. Jesus is approached by some would-be disciples. They want to follow Jesus. Only they, I mean, they would really just prefer if they could do it on their own terms. The first person starts out and says, you know, I'll, I'll follow you wherever you're going. And Jesus, where is Jesus going? Ah, Jerusalem, right? See, Jesus realizes right away that his potential follower may have bitten off more than he's prepared to chew. And he says, "Mm -hmm. just be careful. 
Because foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. See, of course, we know what happens in Jerusalem, so we know that laying your head anywhere while wearing a crown of thorns is more pain than most folks are willing to bear. Probably good to be honest about that up front. Jesus looks at another one and says, but why don't you come with me? And the person says, well, you know, I would, but I, gotta, I, gotta, I have to go and bury my father. And Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. See, again, we've seen what happens in Jerusalem, so we know that the Son of Man doesn't get a family burial himself. Just one cobbled together by a stranger with a donated cemetery plot. Now, overhearing this exchange, another potential disciple says, well, I'll follow you, Lord, but first, let me just say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus says, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. But we have already read the last chapter of this story. We remember how the story goes after Jesus spends a few days in Jerusalem. And when it's his turn to say farewells before setting off on his journey into the land of death, Jesus looks around and just about everybody who's, uh, that he'd want to say goodbye to has already hit the bricks. Almost all of those who've followed him to Jerusalem, those who've promised him to stay with him to the bitter end, they're gone. They've, they've all taken their red eye to nowhere. Now, when we first read this passage, it's, it's kind of tempting I, it, it, to think that, you know, Jesus is kind of a hard man here, too demanding. Because, I mean, for the most part, I think you'll agree that these are people who may not have it all worked out, but their hearts seem to be in the right place, right? Give us a chance, Jesus. We, we, we'd like to follow you, too. And Jesus says... You don't have any idea what lies ahead of me. I'm on my way to Jerusalem, and all hell's about to break loose. Are you prepared for that? Can you drink the cup I drink? Now, quite frankly, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out why Jesus died alone, right? All his followers laying low until things cool off a bit. I mean, he's really not very good at this whole recruiting thing. Far from the harmless Jesus who bounces Mediterranean toddlers on his knees, Luke wants us to know that Jesus offended more people than he ever attracted. Well, not, not, not because he was obnoxious, but because he was asking something that was more than most people wanted to pay. Minister buddy of mine, <laughs> uh, he, he told me about a pastor's class he was teaching when he was a youth minister. And he, this is down in the, in the, in the hills of East Tennessee, and he started laying out the sin that divides us from God and how God made a decision to reconcile us, how Jesus came to reveal another world that God is busy creating, right? Taught them about 
the great humiliation suffered by Jesus through the trial and his subsequent ignoble death as a criminal at the hands of the political leaders. He talked about how as followers of Jesus, we are called to live lives that ask something of us in terms of sacrifice and service. That, that, that we are called also to pick up our crosses as a function of following him. So he let the kids know that our discipleship always comes at some cost to us. Right? And one of the kids sort of interrupted, hoping, I, I think, to be helpful, and said, well, Rev, I... I don't mean to tell you your business, but if you tell people that stuff, nobody is going to want to be a Christian. But isn't that at the heart of it? I mean, if we really believe this stuff, shouldn't we run for the hills? But you see, if we were to do that, if we were to just give the whole thing up as a bad investment, a lot of people besides us who would feel the pain of our abandonment there's a whole world full of pain out there right now. And we walk with Jesus toward Jerusalem, right into the very heart of the systems of domination and death that oppress the vulnerable and kill those who seek justice for them. <coughs> That's right. We who follow Jesus follow him to Jerusalem. And we follow him not just so that we can sleep better at night, but so that those who go to sleep at night terrified of what this world holds for them will finally find some peace. A, a, a chance to rest from the relentless notion in our culture that their lives have no value. I mean, you can see it in the eyes of those who watch their black friends and family harassed day after day by the criminal justice system, segregated to another part of town, warehoused in jails and prisons. You can see it in the eyes of our LGBTQ siblings as they see their neighbors work so unceasingly to claw, black, uh, claw back whatever rights they've already secured. And now they're terrified because the skids upon which those rights have been resting have been greased. We walk with Jesus toward Jerusalem, knowing that Jerusalem doesn't just exist in the heart of the Middle East. The Jerusalem toward which Jesus heads is everywhere, from the U.S.-Mexico border to the steps of the Supreme Court to the west side of Louisville. The Jerusalem is wherever those in power steal bread from the hungry and slake their thirst with the tears of the forgotten. Jerusalem is wherever the vulnerable live in fear and the dispossessed die in despair. Jerusalem is wherever people suffer and die because of the color of their skin or the object of their affections or the country of their origin or the gender they express or the God to whom they pray. Jerusalem is where women and pregnant people cry out in anguish that their bodies are not their own because they've been controlled by men who in all likelihood will never lift a finger to help ensure that the children resulting from this decision will have enough to eat and a safe place to lay their heads at night. But uh, Jerusalem is a grim and dangerous place. But if we're going to follow Jesus, that's exactly where we're headed. The good news 
is that Jerusalem is also where Jesus is. Uh, difficult words. But then again, this is the kingdom of God. I, say, I, I don't mean to tell you your business, but if you tell people that stuff, nobody's going to want to be a Christian. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe that's true. I mean, let's be honest, Jesus is pretty hard on the life that you hand over to him. But the life he gives back to you, the life he gives back to the world, that's worth everything. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in to the Douglas Boulevard Christian Church Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please rate the podcast on iTunes, retweet the link, or just tell your friends. Godspeed until next time on the Douglas Boulevard Christian Church Podcast.